Welcome to Females and Fine Fettle, from Wiped Out to Wealth. This is where conscientious women entrepreneurs and women living like a boss come to learn about balancing their personal and professional wellness with ease. If you have the enthusiasm, motivation, and grit to make it happen, then listen up every Monday. To be sure you don't miss an episode, sign up for weekly updates at femalesandfinefettle.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please don't apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now, here are your hosts, Denise Pasquinelli and Dr. Michelle, your natural women's health advocates who blend the wisdom of ancient healing traditions and the science of functional medicine. Hey, and welcome to our very first bonus episode of the podcast. Um, it's kind of an impromptu uh, recording, so I hope that you enjoy it. But this is this is the interview. This is the anticipated uh, interview about Utrients uh, and how I'm going to start offering this service to my clients. So today I'm interviewing Horace, um, who is a member of this laboratory. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, he just answers all of my questions, um, and he has some really great examples for you today on how this test can uh, positively impact not just your personal health, but really how you uh, formulate your lifestyle and um, can enhance your business productivity, um, your energy, your focus, your hormonal pathways, your detox pathways. Um, It's just some really revolutionary stuff. um, And I think that it's going to be transformative uh, to your health. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, Definitely listen up. So yeah, let's dive in. So welcome, Horace, and thank you for joining me today. Um, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about this nutrients test so that my listeners and my clients can get a better understanding of how this test can really benefit them, their lives, and their business moving forward. So um, perfect. Let's get started. So question one, um, I think one of the burning questions that a lot of people have is, you know, how is this test different from something like 23andMe, which I know is huge. People are, you know, it's flying off the shelves. You can get that thing at Walmart, I think. Like, what is the, mm-hmm. what's the difference? Mm-hmm. So first of all, thank you so much, Dr. Michelle, for having me uh, here. It's a, it's a great honor and pleasure for us to be, uh, to be invited to this podcast and, and to chat with you about you know, what it is we're doing in the, um, in the field of lifestyle genomics and how we can help improve people's health uh, through functional preventative health, which is really, you know, what everyone is concerned about nowadays is not the reactionary, but what's the forward thinking preventative way to improve health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, you know, this is a question that we, we receive a lot. Uh, and kudos to 23andMe for really taking the, uh, you know, the horse by the reins into running with DNA. Uh, but when one of the things that I believe that they've done is uh, drive this idea in the consumer-facing uh, market that DNA is used to tell you, you know, what percent Cherokee Indian you are, for example. Mm. Um, so where we come in is traditionally in the, um, in the industry of DNA testing, you have two extremes. You have diagnostics-based DNA testing, which is done in hospitals, research institutions, and you're looking at you know, some of the genetic causes for hereditary diseases like MS, uh, multiple sclerosis, or Huntington's disease, for example, uh, and cancer testing for oncology genes, et cetera. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the 23andMe sort of superficial fun, let's find out about my ancestry, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we've decided to do is we're, we're coming right, you know, in the middle of that spectrum where we're looking at functional genomics. In other words, we're looking at you know, the body has thousands and thousands of genes, the gene for your eye color, the gene for your hair color. But what does that really mean to you? If I tell you, you have the gene for green eyes, great, you have green (laughs) eyes, but there's no effect on your health. Functional genes are those genes that literally drive functions in your body, right? So a great example is, you know, the CYP17A1 gene in hormonal health that drives the conversion of progesterone to testosterone, just one example. So getting into the differences between our test and the 23andMe and me test, there's actually three fundamental differences. The first difference between us and the 23andMe test is we are testing, as I mentioned, genetic pathways, not genes. Now, this is important because more and more we're finding that it's not simply you know, the mutation within a single gene that leads to an outcome, but rather genes work in cascading pathways, which means that despite a gene being optimal, a variation within the gene upstream or downstream from the gene in question 
can still affect the overall pathway and thus express outwardly as suboptimal health outcomes, right? So you have individuals who go in and say, well, you know what? My doctor said that if this gene was bad, that's why something was happening to me. But he told me that my gene's fine, and yet I'm still having those problems. And again, that's because we're not looking, you know, most people are not looking at the whole pathway. They're kind of just looking at the, the one gene in question. Mm-hmm. So by testing genetic pathways, this allows us to understand the whole picture and make more effective and educated decisions about our health. Uh, the second, uh, sorry, one second. Uh, the second major difference is that we are testing for variations outside of SNPs. Okay, there's going to be a little bit of science here. Where hopefully we're going to we're going to get it so people understand. So most, if not all, DNA tests look for variations or changes within the base pairs of your DNA. Base pairs are what make up you know those building blocks that make up the spiral in your DNA. Mm-hmm. These variations or changes are known as singular nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs. However, what we have found, and this is the work of the clinical team on our board, there are variations that occur outside of SNPs. Two of these variations are known as copy number variations, CNVs. In other words, uh, how many copies of the same gene do you have in your DNA? Uh, And the second type of variation outside of SNPs is indels or insertions and deletions. So what is a CNV, a copy number variation? It is a variation in which there exists more than one copy of the gene in our DNA. This is important because depending on how many copies of the gene you have or whether or not you have any of the copy of the gene at all, you could greatly affect your ability to detoxify yourself from harmful toxins, for example, or to clear hormones from your body. Uh, One gene in question that has copy number variations um, is is the UGT2B17 gene. I know it's a lot lot of letters and numbers, but it's important. Why is this important? The UGT2B17 gene uh, is responsible for determining how well your body clears out hormones, specifically androgens. Now, let's take a fun example. Everyone may remember that is there is a certain class of individuals, a certain race, let's say, that has been for some time suspected of perhaps getting a, an unfair advantage when it comes to performance athletics in the Olympics. In other words, there was a certain race of individuals who perhaps were performing better than they should, but for some reason we could never determine you know, whether or not they were actually taking advantage of some of these unfair advantages, so to speak, right? So in plain terms, there was a group of individuals who would continue, you know, be flagged for doping uh, in the performance uh, world, but we could never catch them. And so what happened then is, if everyone will remember, a few years ago, we started seeing a lot of individuals losing their Olympic medals. We -hmm. saw prominent athletes from this race uh, being kicked out of competitions, being banned or being, you know, suspended from performing. Um... And what happened is what, we, what the, the testing committee found is, uh, so just so you know, doping, how it works is individuals are tested in their urine because androgen byproducts like testosterone byproducts are cleared out through the urine. Now, what happens is when you have a deletion of the UGT2B17 gene, your body does not clear out androgens in your urine which means it's clearing them out, in other words, through the bloodstream, through the liver, whatever it is, but it's not coming out through the urine. Now, when you do a standard dope test, which is a urine test, an individual who doesn't have a deletion of that gene, nothing's going to show up in his urine. It's Mm. either going to be cleared out through the bloodstream or it's going to be cleared in some other way, but it's not coming on the urine. And genetically, and, and you know, through anthropology, what do we find is the percentage of individuals in the world with the largest... Uh, percentage of deletion of this gene are Slavic Russians, mm. right? And so that's why... That's wild. Know, <laughs> that's why you would have these individuals. So why is this important? This copy number variation actually determined whether or not these individuals even have the gene. Mm. If you did a basic 23andMe test, if you didn't have the gene, 23andMe doesn't have the capabilities to read whether or not there's a deletion. If it doesn't find a variation, it assumes you have the gene. 
Mm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So even if the gene isn't there, because it didn't pick up a variation, it assumes the gene is there or it assumes the gene isn't there. Do you have zero copies of the gene, one copy of the gene, two copies of the gene? And that's affecting how well you're clearing out androgens. So that's mm-hmm. an example of, of a CNV. The other type of variation uh, that we look at is known as indels or inserts and deletions. This is an insertion, uh, an insertion or a deletion of a, a number of base pairs within a gene. And this can profoundly affect the function of the gene. So a great example of this is the 5-HTT-LPR polymorphism. That is a, uh, a, a polymorphism within the transport gene for serotonin. Serotonin, as most people know, is the mood neurochemical or neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. What we have found is individuals with a deletion of the 5-HTT-LPR polymorphism are actually potentially poor responders to SSRIs, Mm -hmm. selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are a type of antidepressants. Mm -hmm. In other words, you have clinically depressed individuals who are not responding well to an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And a simple test like 23andMe could not tell you whether there was a deletion within that gene. It simply would say there is a SNP variation or it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell whether there's a deletion of that gene. So that's why it's important to look at these variations outside SNPs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the third and final difference between our tests and every other test is the ability for us to safeguard the accuracy of our test, okay? So how DNA testing works, quick primer here, and primer is funny because if someone in, in, your, in your audience understands genetic testing, they'll get the pun there. Um, <laughs> When we test for variations in the DNA, how it happens is we identify a SNP that we would like to test for. We then take the sample of saliva and we place it within a PCR reaction, mm-hmm. polymerase chain reaction. Um, and what that does is there are primers that seek out the variation you're looking for, bind to the variation, and then it's, it shows up on the reaction. The gold standard of testing is that for every SNP, you run one reaction. Hmm. So for a company like 23andMe, which is testing hundreds of genes, you have to understand that every reaction can cost hundreds of dollars. So you're Mm -hmm. looking at thousands and thousands of dollars for the test. So how do they bring the cost down? What they have done is they've created multiplex assays. So Mm -hmm. instead of running one gene, one reaction, they do 100 genes, one reaction. And they dump all the primers in at the same time, and they hope that they're all going to bind to the right SNP. That's now, what cool. happens, right? I mean, it's 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 an, it's, a, it's. I've had it's a I've had people say that they've done twenty three and me more than once and had different results. Exactly, and right? It's like, the law of nature. What? Right? Yeah, it's the law of nature. The more you yeah. put in, if you're not safeguarding that accuracy, you are going to get invalid results. They're going to be And when we're talking DNA, it's kind of like, you kind of want to be accurate. (laughs) Right. Imagine making a health decision based on inaccurate results. This isn't like, which, you know, I don't know, which game should I play on my PlayStation? Right. This is what steps do I need to take to improve my health? And if you're Mm -hmm. acting on incorrect information, I mean, who knows what the consequences of that are. Mm -hmm. So what we did to safeguard the accuracy is two things. Number one, we don't overload our panels. We identified functional genes, right? They're testing every gene under the planet mm-hmm. that they can find. We're identifying functional genes within pathways and picking the right genes to test. And what mm-hmm. that means is the pathways that we study, um, you know, we are as substantial as we are in determining them, but sometimes there's multiple genes playing one role, one step in the pathway. But you don't want to combine those genes together because there's going to be you know, there's going to be inaccuracies. The primer for one gene might bind to the other if they're too similar. Does that mm-hmm. sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we're doing in summary is we're not, not only are we not overloading our panels, but we're identifying the right kind of gene to test. So we safeguard the accuracy of our test. And as a result, the accuracy of our test is near 100%. That's awesome. So those are, you know, in summary, the three major uh, differences that we that we between our test and you know, not just 23, but most yeah, of Yeah, a ton of the, yeah, 23 means just the most, I think, recognized yeah, one. But exactly. yeah, for sure. Right. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Ready for the next question? Absolutely. 
So uh, in regards to my audience, you know, they're wondering how can this test help them better understand their level of energy, their sharpness of focus, and mood fluctuations that they might be going through. Okay. So a big part of our test focuses on executive function or how the brain manages the production, metabolism, and clearance of neurochemicals. So these neurochemicals such as dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, all play an important role in how we see the world around us. So for example, knowing how your body processes dopamine can help you understand how you deal with pleasure. Are you an individual who continuously seeks reward and thus loves to take risks? You know, those uh, those go-getter sales individuals who the only time they feel a high is when they've hit that, you know, that, 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 that sale, they've gotten that reward. Right. Um, Shiny object syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is you want to call it, but they don't feel happy unless they are achieving, right? Yeah. That's one individual. Or do you prefer doing things for a longer period of time, but with breaks in between? In other words, you know, are you the kind of person who loves Netflix? So when you sit down to watch Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, you have to watch five episodes in a row. <laughs> then you don't need to watch it again for two weeks because you're like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it again two Sundays from now. But then when you do watch it again, you got to watch another five episodes. <laughs> so in other words, are you more likely to exhibit binging behavior or addictive behavior? Mm-hmm. How about the symptoms of ADHD? I mean, how many parents are always concerned of, you know, is my child of ADHD, right? People are always like, oh, he must have ADD. Here, take a pill right? That's the, uh, take a riddle in and your child will focus better. Well, no, that's not necessarily always the case. We want to understand at the genetic level, are there some genetic factors contributing to this idea of ADHD and what can we do to help manage those symptoms, right? Um, Other neurochemicals, for example, uh, such as serotonin and noradrenaline, determine how you respond and react to emotional stimuli, particularly negative stimuli. So, you know, if, you're, if you've got, you know, patients or clients out there who it's been six months, but they can remember every single sentence of an argument they had with their spouse, like <laughs> on demand, it's actually a genetic, there's actually a genetic reason for that. And the reasoning, for example, is the neurotransmitter or neurochemical known as noradrenaline uh, is that fight or flight response. You know that, you know, when you're walking down the street and you hear a dog bark and you kind of jump a little, you feel like something's been released, mm-hmm. nor adrenaline. That same chemical is released when you get into emotionally heightened situations, whether it's an argument or very intense discussion, or you're walking down the street, as I said, and you hear the dog bark, or you see a car crash, for example. Mm-hmm. Individuals with a deletion, now there's one of those variations outside of SNPs that we test for, deletion of the gene responsible for noradrenaline metabolism or the ADRA2B gene are more likely to hold on to negative emotional stimuli. In other words, they attach emotional memory and particularly to negative situations. This is why if you've ever had this experience or maybe your clients have had this experience where they're walking to their favorite coffee shop and as they're walking, they hear a loud bang and they see a, you know, see a car crash and they see the stuff flying or everywhere, smoke, et cetera, people yelling at each other. And they notice that and they say, oh, that was intense. And then they, you know, they, they go back into their favorite coffee shop. Now, for two individuals, one individual saw that happen, went on with their day. And you know, he'll only remember it when someone asked, hey, did you see that car accident or did you see anything interesting? They'll say, yeah, you know what? I saw a car accident. There's another type of individual who every day when that person now goes back to that same coffee shop, something is going to remind him about that car crash, whether it's a smell, whether it's the seeing the intersection, whether it's hearing a honking sign or people yelling, it's going to kickstart their adrenaline over and over again. So as a result, they hold on to that negative emotional stimuli. That's like PTSD, right, Horace? Exactly, exactly. So what, uh, and, you know, to get into a more serious topic, what happens is, you know, when you have individuals, for example, who had an unpleasant experience as children, mm-hmm. uh, were exposed to any sort of trauma, whether psychological, mental, or physical, and they have a deletion of this gene, they are more likely to hold on to the memory and the experience. And mm-hmm. that'll also be, they'll also be more likely to allow that emotional experience to drive their decisions later on in the mm-hmm. future, mm-hmm. Right. And when we start to combine all of these things together, if an individual has a propensity for binging 
or for addictive behavior, and they are also potentially deleted for some of these genes, then now all of a sudden they are more likely to seek addiction Mm -hmm. of some sort of, whether it's pornography or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. as a coping mechanism for some of these emotional trauma experiences they've had at a younger life. Mm -hmm. So you can see how all the different genes in the brain sort of come together to help drive the emotional state of an individual. So that's extremely important, I think. And it's, I also think, you know, with the work we're doing, it's something that's often not looked at. I mean, mental health, mm-hmm. how many times do we have to say it? mental health is health, right? But mental health, it's so interesting because it's the one aspect of health where, you know, when you go in for your monthly checkups with your therapist and they ask you, how are you feeling today? Uh, saying, I don't know, not much or more or less different than I was feeling. That's an acceptable answer. Right. Now imagine if you were on a cancer prevention protocol and you went through this intensive cancer prevention program or cancer treatment program and day one to day 36 and someone's like, how do you feel today? And you said, not much better or not much worse than no one would accept that. Your doctor wouldn't accept that. Right. Change the protocol right away and right. fix you. But you're not doing that with mental health. You're just like, okay, well, that's, that's a, that's, a, that's a sign of some sort of progress for, for individuals. Right. So this is why mental health is such an important part and you know, why we believe that genetics plays such an important part of mental health is because we want to change the discussion mm-hmm. about how we, can, you know, how we can identify genetic factors pertaining to mental health and then equip individuals with the tools to manage their personal genetics makeup, mm-hmm. right? If you're a binge behavior individual, build your day to satisfy your binge cravings in an acceptable manner. Mm-hmm. If you're an addictive person, perhaps seek out a profession that'll help you achieve that reward-seeking behavior without having to go to something yes. that's deleterious to your health. Yes. A person with addictive or reward-seeking behavior probably should be a salesperson because they're going to get that high yeah. reward from the, the sale. Yeah. Right? Not from the drug or not from the alcohol or not from the pornography, but they, they yeah. put it in a good way. So, you know, it's funny, um, you know, some personal uh, colleagues of mine who have done the test, you know, they laugh and they say, you know, my, I have the addictive sort of behavioral gene makeup. And I look back in my family and I can literally draw a divide. I have half of my family that unfortunately are alcohol or drug addicts. Yeah. And then I have half of my family that fortunately are super successful business individuals, right? So, <laughs> but, but that's what it is, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's being able to figure out who you are and then channeling that energy into what you're good at. Absolutely. So I think, uh, so this is why it's so, this is where I believe we can really help individuals better understand, you know, their mood, their energy, where their focus should be and how we can help uh, optimize it for their benefit. Totally. It's like this interconnected web that we can kind of interpret and help guide and focus people to like really pursue and emphasize their strengths. Absolutely. I mean, and it, it stresses so much further than just mental health as in, it, in and of itself. I mean, you're talking about, you know, when people think about uh, diet metabolism and, you know, obesity, for example. So you look at an obese person and you as an individual, when you stare at an obese person, you might make some assumptions. You might assume that they're not eating well, that they're not exercising, that they don't have any control over themselves. But you start looking at some of the genetic makeup, you, you may find an individual whose only method of coping with the emotional trauma they experience is food, right? That person doesn't feel well until they eat two or three bowls of ice cream, right? right? And if we could, we could show individuals who are obese or overweight that, you know, where do you fit in this puzzle of losing weight? It's not like everyone has to jump on the treadmill to drop the pounds. Absolutely. For a lot of people, it's probably 70% changing your perception, understanding how you react to food before mm-hmm. you even get to the exercise part. Right? Yep. So this is why it's not just mental health for the sake of mental health. It's like understand how your brain works so we can literally fix everything yeah. <laughs> about your life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So one thing, I mean, obviously the DNA test is amazing, um, but Utrans also offers this really exclusive uh, like supplement line that is tailored to our genes. So can you talk about how these supplements are kind of different from other supplements that people might be taking either from, you know, the health food store prescribed by their practitioner? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things we found when we were when we were building this company and trying to understand, you know, what's what what is the what is what is the service that we're offering uh, people around the world? And we realized, you know, when you do a DNA test and I, we, you learn all this exciting information about yourself, this is how you think, this is how you react, this is how you eat, this is how you, you know, process hormones, for example. People are like, wow, this is super interesting. And then the first question every person asks after Now what do I do? What do I do now? What next? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, can you tell me what next? And we realized that there, there's no closing of the loop. Yes. So what we did is we said, okay, if we're going to close the loop, you know, when we're dealing with supplements, you know, there's no two ways about it. We're fighting an uphill battle as it relates to the clinical effectiveness and science and, you know, a clinical value or um, I want to say um, uh, validation mm. of the effectiveness of these ingredients. So how do we do that? So we had to rethink. We had literally, you know, recreate the wheel on supplementation through natural ingredients uh, and how we can tailor, you know, custom and tailor make them for the individual. Because here's a, here's a straightforward question. You and I are human, and that's about the only thing that's similar between us. Mm. Right? The fact is, you're male, I'm, or I'm male, you're female. Uh, we have different genetics, we have different ancestry, different environments, we live in different areas, we eat different foods. So why is it you and I are both expected to go by Centrum Multivitamin as the multivitamin of choice? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, there's male and female, but again, are you the same as every other woman out there? Absolutely not. So we said, okay, the first thing we have to understand is one size does not fit all. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it's, it's not even like a new science. It's not, you know, and it's not us coming up with this crazy new idea. Look right. at anything in your life. You want to personalize your clothing, your outerwear, your shoes. You want to personalize your eating habits. You want to personalize your workout routine. You have to personalize your diet, mm-hmm. right? So the first thing we did is we said, okay, we're going to customize supplements for the individual, personalize it. How are we going to do that? Here's where the DNA test comes in. Because if I were to ask you, you know, how would you like me to build your custom vitamins? You would probably have some ideas and you're a clinician, so you could suggest something to me. But if I started asking everyone what they want, it's very subjective. Yeah. People are like, I probably want some lot more energy, but I also want a lot more things to keep me calm. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't really know how to answer. So we said, what's objective, right? What is that one thing that defines us as individuals and that's your DNA. Mm-hmm. So we started to look at DNA. We're looking at the genetic pathways and now we're looking at what are those clinically studied and published natural ingredients that we can see are actually modifying genetic expression. In other words, in optimizing the expression, the very action of the gene. Is that and also we- called epigenetics, Horace? Uh, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. That's that's what we're looking at. Epigen- but, but epigenetics, not only from ep- this is a sector within epigenetics, right. the yep. effect of supplements exactly. on your gene. Your environment plays a huge role mm-hmm. in the expression of your genes, mm-hmm. your sleeping habits, your lifestyle habits, your exercise. Epi- this is definitely a sector within epigenetics yes. is the effect of supplements on genes. Mm-hmm. Now, once we identified those ingredients that will work. So for example, we know that DIM, diendotyl methane, actually blocks the production of testosterone into estrogen, slows down the gene and the enzyme responsible for that. Where do we source DIM from? Do I go to China and buy nothing against Chinese ingredients? Some of them are great, but you understand, do I go to low-grade product? Mm-hmm. What is the sort of baseline for determining where do I buy this ingredient? And that was the other thing we did is we actually... Uh, mandated a boots on the ground method of visiting every supplier that we buy ingredients from to test for quality, transparency, purity, traceability, and ensuring that this is the best in class source of the ingredient we want to bring in. That's awesome. Something I emphasize with my clients all the time is that that value of third-party testing because so many companies out there are just doing in-house testing. They're making all these claims and it's like when it gets down to it, it's like, oh gosh, I don't even know what I'm taking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, this, this idea, well, I can go to Costco and buy these vitamins. Why do I have to pay extra? Well, you have to pay. I mean, would you go to Costco and buy Gucci products? You wouldn't, right? You buy a Costco product and you buy a Gucci product and there's a very big difference. You buy a you know, a regular flip phone and then you buy an iPhone and there's Mm. a massive difference between. So the same exists for ingredients. Not all ingredients and supplement products are created the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's definitely a a need to investigate the uh, effectiveness of these ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, So just to sort of recap that, we can personalize and customize a supplement program built for you based on your DNA, Mm -hmm. your environment, your lifestyle, your physical 
exercise choices, your diet and nutrition choices, everything about you as an individual is taken together mm-hmm. uh, and combined together to develop this personalized supplement for you. And that's actually built mm-hmm. through an algorithm. So we actually mm-hmm. use artificial intelligence to determine that dose for you. So that's why we call our company Utrients. Yes, I love it. Yeah, and one of the things my listeners might not know, I might have mentioned it, but um, for those of you who don't, um, Utrients actually does kind of a lifestyle questionnaire for you. So that's where these other aspects of epigenetics come into play, your lifestyle, your nutrition, things like that. So they can kind of layer that on top of your genetic profiling so they can really target um, and create those personalized, individualized supplements for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. So we actually, like uh, Dr. Michelle is mentioning, we'll actually ask you, what kind of diet do you follow? Is it gluten-free? Is it vegan? Is it paleo? Because that's important. We need to know what is the source of your fuel. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a vegan diet, for example, you're on the vegan diet, for example, and we're testing a gene that actually determines the ability of the body to activate and convert beta carotene into retinol, which is the vegan version of vitamin A Mm -hmm. into the usable version of vitamin A. If you're a vegan and you have the suboptimal version of this gene, it doesn't matter how many sweet potatoes and pumpkins you're eating and how many vegan supplements you're taking, that vitamin A is doing jack squat for you because you just physically can't convert it. So you actually have to consider either a synthetic source or an animal-based source for your vitamin A or you're not getting what you need, right? So that's very important for us to understand because without that, I mean, we're just staring at a bunch of letters and numbers as it relates to your genes. We have no idea who you are. Right, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, So a lot of my clients the majority of my clientele are, are women. And so, you know, hormones are always, always, always a topic that come up. So how can these supplements actually benefit our hormonal pathways? Right. So what we are able to do for number one is we're the first company to map out the uh, extensive nature of the hormonal production cascade or cycle mm-hmm. uh, by identifying the functionally uh, important genes responsible for every step. So Quick primer on hormones. Everyone should know this, and if they don't, this is news to them. But men and women both make progesterone, then testosterone, then estrogen, right? So it's not just male testosterone or female estrogen. All of us make the same thing. There's two differences. Males make it in one day, right? So they go progesterone, testosterone, testosterone, then estrogen. That happens in one day, 24 hours. Uh, while as women, it happens within a cycle of 28 days. Right, mm-hmm. so you're you're going through that process differently, and then secondly, you can have estrogenized or estrogen dominant males mm-hmm. and androgen dominant females. Now, personally, I'll share with you guys, I'm an estrogen dominant male. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm gonna, I'm more effeminate or I'm going to have more female characteristics. But what it doesn't mean, for example, is you know I'm never going to go bald, so that's great. <laughs> and I'm going to have great skin, which is also great, right? <laughs> no problem with acne, awesome, right? But as, as, as a male, some of the concerns I have is it's always going to be more difficult for me to put on and retain muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So I will have to work twice as hard as some of my friends who are androgen dominant males to put on muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And whereas the concern for my androgen dominant males is they're probably likely to start losing their hair or you know, thinning their hair faster. They might see excess body hair growth or hirsutism. Hirsutism. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, but the more the, the bigger concern is they might also see later on in their life benign prostolemia or the enlarged prostate, right? Mm-hmm. So these are some of the things we look at males. Now, from a female perspective, where it gets really interesting is androgen dominant females are your typical, you know, let's take an example of Serena Williams, right? The muscular, raw muscle, easy to put it on six-pack abs at the gym, don't even have to go to the gym mm-hmm. more than once a week. Uh, but, but then they'll also have, for example, concerns with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. They'll have concerns with missing their monthly cycle, uh, their hirsutism, as, as you mentioned as well, uh, thinning hair. And they may also deal with cystic acne, for example. Right? So there, there's pros and cons there. Now, women who are estrogen dominant, and this is probably the biggest concern. Uh, that would be me. <laughs> yes. So individuals who are estrogen dominant, like yourself, but you know what, you're kind of a little bit lucky because you still have a little bit of that androgen dominant push. You're kind of in the middle there. Yep. Individuals who are, the whole pathway is going right into estrogen. You see, 
Estrogen is very important for women. It is the female hormone. But what happens to that estrogen after it's made is very important for women as well. Mm -hmm. Estrogen is broken down into several metabolites, and there are three key metabolites. There's 2-hydroxyestrogen, 4-hydroxyestrogen, and 16-hydroxyestrogen. Of these three, one is good. You want more of it, 2-hydroxy. The other two, and in particular, the 4-hydroxyestrogen, those are toxic metabolites. Mm -hmm. And what 4-hydroxyestrogen does is it actually induces DNA damage within cells, particularly uh, located in the mammary glands area. Yep. Right? So what you have now is excessive damage to cells there can then lead to the proliferation of cell growth, which is translated as breast cancer. cancer yeah. Yeah. So we are able to determine some of the fundamental risk factors for the development of breast cancer outside hereditary tests, right? So it's not only the, you know, the, the strain of the Jewish population that is at the greatest risk, but in fact, most women can be in that risk if they're estrogen dominant. And it's part of particular importance because if we look at the statistics, I mean, in North America, you know, 85 to 90% of women between the ages of, you know, 15 and like 35 to 40 have either taken the pill or are currently on the pill, yeah. sometimes for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So what you're doing when you're taking the pill is you're introducing free estrogens into your body. Now, if you're an estrogen dominant individual, what do you think is happening to those estrogens, yeah. right? You're converting it to a potentially toxic metabolite. That's why it's so important to understand what your hormonal profile is like. Because then you've got to make a decision. Am I going to be taking an oral estrogen-based contraception? Do I have to consider something else like an IUD? Mm -hmm. Right. We're not saying don't take contraception. We just need to know what kind of about it. Like, yeah, you have to be smart about it, right? Yeah. yeah. The same thing with BHRT. You know, women as they get older, they start exactly. to consider bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Again, we're not saying it's bad. It's good for most women, but you got to understand exactly how your hormones are being produced before you make a decision like that. Uh, so that's why it's extremely important. Now, quick things to talk about when you know when people determine am I estrogen dominant or not. Estrogen-dominant women will see a much more fuller development of female secondary characteristics, you know, widening hips, larger breasts, for example, a curviness, they'll, they'll have a curviness in them, but they'll also struggle with cellulite, uh, you know, tenderness in their, in, in their breasts while they're on their period. So these are some of the signs that you can kind of, you know, get a good idea of sort of where you are on the spectrum. But again, it's very difficult to determine unless you do the test Absolutely. and understand exactly how your pathways work. Absolutely. And if I were to see a client who came back with, you know, estrogen dominance, you know, in addition to these individualized supplements, certain lifestyle factors would need to be considered like avoiding plastics and xenoestrogens is going to be like super huge, right? Like exactly, a big exactly. emphasis on that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm going to pop this, you know, supplement. Exactly. Pill. We I mean, need to make sure we're addressing all those other factors. And this is like just a really good way to, I guess, emphasize or prioritize our focus when we're doing yeah. that sort of modification. That's awesome. Um, so in regards to the test, you know, how can this test help people either prevent um, illness or chronic disease or kind of help um, have an awareness around that moving forward? Sure. So, you know, in summary, our test looks at several important systems in the body. You know, we're looking at systems, as I mentioned, the executive function, uh, the hormonal pathway, but we're also looking at systems like cardiovascular health. You know, how are your genes functioning as it relates to cardiovascular health? How is your detoxification? In other words, how well, how capable are you of pulling out toxins like estrogen metabolites? Mm -hmm. right? We've got to look at the whole process. And sometimes genes that are affecting your brain function also are affecting hormonal function as well. So it's this whole massive pathway that we have to look at. We're also looking at systems like methylation. You know, how well is the body methylating itself? Uh, we're looking at diet metabolism. How well are you capable of metabolizing fats or starches or should you be eating fats or starches? So mm -hmm. I think the best way to sort of give you a quick summary is to give you a great example. Uh, let's take the example of Jennifer. Jennifer is a middle-aged executive who works and lives downtown in the city. And her sort of, you know, her, her, her tried and tested everyday routine is that she wakes up in early in the morning around 6, 7 a.m. and she runs for an hour around her apartment block or a few blocks, right? This is right in the middle of the city. Now, what Jennifer is finding is, yes, she's running, but she also finds, you know what, I'm feeling fatigued during the day after my runs. Uh, I might be breaking out at times. I feel increasingly tired. Uh, and even though 
I'm feeling great while I'm exercising and running, what happens after is I just feel like I need to shut down, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we look at her diet and, you know, Jennifer was told, hey, stick to a ketogenic diet because that's going to keep the fats off and, you know, high fat and intermittent fasting is going to really kick your body into ketosis. It's really good, right? Uh, and she also finds that, you know, she tried this diet. It initially worked, but now she's just sitting on a plateau. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes in to see her doctor and, her, you know, she gets a blood test from a doctor and it reveals that she actually has increased cholesterol levels. So Jennifer is sitting there and saying, okay, explain this to me. You know, I'm middle-aged. I understand the importance of my health. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm eating right. I think I'm working out and I'm exercising. I'm doing all the right things. So why is it that I'm still in poor health? And this is where the genes are so important. So let's start with, you know, executive function. The reason Jennifer feels best while running or working out is because Jennifer has the suboptimal version of her BDNF gene. That's brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor is important because it helps the body achieve REM sleep. In other words, restful sleep. And individuals who have a poor BDNF production often feel tired. You know, they, they might sleep seven, eight hours. They don't feel up feeling, you know, they don't wake up feeling well rested. Mm-hmm. So what we have found is the clinical studies show one of the number one ways of increasing BDNF is physical exercise, right? So the more physical exercise you do, the more BDNF production you have. High BDNF makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. So you feel best while you're working out. Now, the next thing we do is we look at her cardiovascular health, and this is where it gets really interesting. The genes we're looking at aren't determining, you know, you are more likely to have a heart attack or stroke in in the sort of conventional methods. What we're looking at is, if you can imagine your blood vessels are a tube, and the inner lining of your tube here, uh, for some individuals based on their genes, can become very sensitive. Mm-hmm. Right? And when it's sensitive, it is easily, uh, it is easily inflamed. Mm-hmm. Right? So what happens is that you have this abrasion to the side of the walls. When abrasion occurs, the first thing the body is going to want to do is to send Vaseline. Mm-hmm. And you know what that Vaseline is? Is cholesterol. Right? So cholesterol mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. Right? You know, we have to really stress this. Mm-hmm. Cholesterol is not a bad Cholesterol is the body's Vaseline for its internal systems. Mm-hmm. So whenever there's inflammation and abrasion, the body says, oh, let's send some cholesterol there and, you know, let's Vaseline that up. Mm-hmm. What happens is when you have excessive inflammation due to high sensitivity, and what are you sensitive to? Uh, smoke, right? From, from secondhand smoke or smoking yourself. Pollution mm-hmm. from the environment. Mold. Mm-hmm. and even excessive cardiac output, mm. right? So in other words, Miss Jennifer running around the city in her block where there's smoke and pollution, all sort of environmental toxins, and meanwhile also um, pushing her body to, to, you know, to, 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 to a high cardiac output. If you think about the basic law of physics, whenever there's energy, there's a byproduct, mm-hmm. right? So when you burn fire, you get smoke. Mm-hmm. Fire is good. Smoke, not so much. Mm-hmm. So when the body burns energy by breaking down ATP molecules, energy is released. But what you're also releasing are what are known as ROS, reactive oxidative species, or free radicals. Mm-hmm. Those free radicals are harmful to the inner lining of the cell, and they inflame them. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you have infl- inflammation because of your running, you're literally running yourself into a heart attack. Right. Right. Because what happens is more running causes more inflammation the inflammation starts to shut down the hole where the blood is flowing, eventually gets to a point where it can't go. Right. And the blood doesn't get to the heart. And that's when you have healthy people not drinking, not smoking, not doing anything, having heart attacks. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is why Jennifer's elevated cholesterol levels are there despite the fact that she thinks she's taking care of her health. So what we now have to do is say, okay, Jennifer, number one, don't run around the city block, right? Mm-hmm. That's number one. You don't need to do that because you're actually, you're killing yourself. Yeah. Perhaps consider working in a much more cleaner environment, like the inside of a gym that's got a good HEPA filter. Mm-hmm. You also are not doing excessive cardiovascular exercise, but perhaps you're doing weight training or intent, mm-hmm. weight intensive exercise. Because keep in mind, whether you weight train or you do cardiovascular health or exercise, you're still burning calories, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's actually the same. 
So right? she's probably a better candidate for something like a high intensity interval training or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So yeah. keep the keep the keep the cardiovascular to that high intensity, low, yeah. you know, those intervals, and then focus on lifting weights. And actually, gonna it will burn the fat. You're not gonna look up. You know, you're not gonna end up muscular. And if you don't right. want to, you don't have to. Right. But the but the lifting of the weights is actually healthier for her body. Mm-hmm. And then we look at her diet. Now, what we found is gen- there's literally a gene that determines whether or not an individual is capable of metabolizing fats, mm-hmm. right? Now, in other words, is your body going to be able to break down those fats for energy? And mm-hmm. individuals who have the suboptimal version of that gene, which is known as the APOA2 gene, uh, the gene that determines how well you can break down fats, if you have a suboptimal version, guess what's happening to the fats in your body? They're staying as fats. They're not going anywhere. They're yeah. being deposited everywhere in your body so you when you jump on a ketogenic diet which is focuses on you know high fat consumption intermittent fasting mm-hmm. your body literally doesn't know how to enter ketosis yeah it, just, it, it doesn't right yeah. so it can't use that fat for fuel exactly it cannot yeah. it just yeah. does not have the gen- innate genetic ability to perform that function mm-hmm. and so Jennifer now has to reconsider whether the ketogenic diet is even built for her. Perhaps mm-hmm. she should maybe consider, okay, maybe not the ketogenic, but perhaps the paleo diet paleo, is a better right. option right. for me. Or perhaps, you know, a different kind of diet is a better option for mm-hmm. me. And this comes back to the idea that there's no one solution for everyone, right? right. That's why we're called individuals. Yeah. We're, we're, not called, we're not all the same. So our diet programs absolutely have to be as individual as we are. Totally. And that, that leads into the next question perfectly. Um, I found this one to be probably the most interesting for me, just because as you know, um, you know, I found out that I'm a great fat metabolizer. I cannot metabolize starches. Those turn straight to fat for me. Um, and yeah, so basically, can you explain how this test is going to help um, my listeners and my clients find the perfect food plan for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just so you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. Great fat metabolizer, horrible starch metabolizer. Now, I come from, from, from Pakistan, which is, uh, you know, a country located in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. If you look at the diet of most Pakistani individuals, uh, it is high, 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 high in carbs. Uh-huh. Got your rice, your biryanis, your rotis, your naans. I mean, try to go to some Pakistani's house and not eat rice or, I mean, it's, it's impossible, yeah. right? There's yeah. no such thing. So for me, you know, I have to structure my diet, keeping in mind my cultural responsibilities and, you know, going to people's houses and respect and all that stuff in mind. Mm-hmm. I have to limit my consumption of starches. There's no other way to it, mm-hmm. right? And I have to stick to eating uh, a higher fat. The ketogenic diet is a great diet for me because I, yeah. my body knows exactly how to, to enter ketosis and use ketones for energy. Um, similarly, with your case, you know, when we're looking at, okay, an individual comes in and they do their test and they realize, okay, I'm bad at starches, good at fats, so ketogenic is going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Flip the switch. There are some individuals who are actually great at metabolizing starches, not so good at metabolizing fats, so they mm-hmm. can consume carbs. Now, that's not a get out of jail free card. You go eat as much pasta and pizza as you right, want. Right, right. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> but it's understanding that, you know, okay, I understand that I can have a certain percentage of carbs in my diet, complex carbs like chickpeas, sweet potatoes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not going to impact my weight gain, for example, right, right. or my weight loss regimen. Right. Uh, going further than that, there are some individuals who actually have a suboptimal insulin response, mm. right? So individuals with a suboptimal insulin response, that's a very good indicator of the potential risk for developing type 2 diabetes. Right. Because and I happening- have that too, I believe. I have a, a propensity. Yes. So now you've yeah. been really good because when I talked to you about this, I asked, you know, do you have a sweet tooth? And you said, I try really hard to just yeah. avoid sweets. And the yeah. reason for that is your body understands that if you were to start eating those sweets, you'd be addicted like, you know, like nothing. Yes. So if you find yourself having a sweet tooth, sometimes the potential response to that or the potential cause of that is a suboptimal insulin response, right? Mm -hmm. So then now we have to watch what's your percentage of sugars. Now, here's the other important thing. Sugars and fats are interchangeable, Mm -hmm. right? So when you eat something that's zero fat, but high in sugars, guess what that's turning into? That's turning mm-hmm. into fat. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when the fat needs to be burned by the body, when you're, when you're exercising, you need to burn those calories. Mm-hmm. Fats can be broken down into sugars and mm-hmm. then used for energy. So mm-hmm. they're interchangeable. Yes. Right? That's why you burn fat. Right. So then there are individuals who literally, their body is incapable of transferring heat 
to the important places in its body. So you have these individuals who not only, you know, when, when, whether it's summer or winter, they find that their digits, their extremities, their fingers and their toes get really cold, mm-hmm. right? Like, unnaturally, like, wow, it's, you know, I, I feel really cold. And then what they find is that when they put on weight, guess where it's all going? Right into their midsection, because mm-hmm. that's where the majority of your organs are. And so their body is incapable of determining um, a equalized heat distribution. So it tends to pack all the heat into the midsection. So that's why you have these individuals who, if you look at them from the back, they look like they're thin and then they turn around and they have a giant gut, right? So it's literally the body is saying, this is where the fat needs to be stored Mm -hmm. or use it, right? Mm -hmm. So information like this is extremely valuable for someone trying to determine what oh my goodness it just takes all the guesswork out i've noticed you know since i found out this this information and another one is the lactose intolerance like what i had no idea because i did not have typical symptoms associated with lactose intolerance but now that i know my body can't digest starches i know my body can't and shouldn't digest lactose like it's so much easier for me to just not have those things at all because it's just mm-hmm. it's such a uh it's just it's 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 right there it's right there on the paper you can see yeah, it it's you, like, your dna doesn't lie right yeah your dna no won't lie to you exactly so it's like i can easily pass it up and choose something else so yeah and here's the you know the quick uh, little tidbit of information about lactose intolerance mm-hmm. what people have to understand is lactose intolerance is actually the majority Mm-hmm. Lactose tolerance is a mutation within our genealogy. You see, wow. humans were never actually meant to drink cow's milk. Right. You look back at the history of, of mankind, for thousands of years, we didn't drink cow's milk. We drank goat or sheep or water buffalo milk, mm-hmm. right? Cows were brought in about, let's say, three to 500 years ago when owning cattle was a symbol of wealth. Mm-hmm. And then individuals realized, well, hold on, this goat gives me a liter of milk. And this cow gives me 10 times the amount. Mm-hmm. Hold on, my, my community. Economics. <laughs> yeah. Like, my community is growing. You know, this, how long is this goat going to give me milk? Yeah. This cow can produce 10 times the amount of milk. And they're so much easier to deal with. Yeah. And so that's where we started, you know, consuming all of these, you know, th- this cow dairy. And so the body, initially, a lot of people had reactions to it. But eventually got to the point where your family and your, your, your mother and father and their mother and father and their mother, everyone started drinking cow's milk. So down the line, genes take generations to change, right? Which is the crazy thing. I mean, it really does take a few generations to see those changes. Mm-hmm. So some people have developed the mutation of lactose tolerance. Yeah. So that's just an interesting Wild. thing. That's know. really cool. I love that. All right. So back to kind of the supplement, supplement picture. So mm-hmm. I'm sure people are probably wondering, you know, so because this is based on genetics, like do I stay on the same supplement routine forever or what happens with that? Sure. So number one thing you pointed to write out, you know, these are your genes. They're not, they're never going to change. Your genes are your genes. Those are the cards that you've been dealt with, for example. What we can do is modify genetic expression. That's been clinically proven, right? So I want you to imagine that you're in the middle of the ocean and you're on a boat and your boat happens to have a a few holes in it. And so your boat is sinking, right? So what happens is when we create a supplement program to help optimize your genes, it's essentially putting these plugs into these holes. Mm-hmm. Now what happens when I pull those plugs out and I stop taking the supplements I need to? Your boat goes back to its natural, normal self full of holes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, it is what it is. You're on that boat, someone put you on that boat, but now you got to deal with it. So yes, we do build supplement programs for these individuals. And if they stay on it for the rest of their life, they will have a much better a much more improved health span right mm-hmm. they're going to be their their health is going to be optimized they can absolutely choose to jump off if they want mm-hmm. but these are these are supplements designed to improve your life for the rest of your life now what we do is we actually build your supplement program in uh, in 3 month batches right so you have a 90 day supply of your formulation developed for you not only by us but by your clinician Mm -hmm. so in this case would be yourself sort of working in tandem with our clinicians Mm -hmm. to create a formulation unique to you once we've created that formulation and remember that that formulation is going to include the ingredients you need to manage your genetic expression but it's also going to include important ingredients that we couldn't otherwise fit into our capsules like omega-3 fatty acids which everyone on the planet should be taking (laughs) some form of the omega-3 fatty acids, right? Mm-hmm. So we provide that, you know, as, as, a, as, as a value add. We also provide the right type of vitamin. Everyone knows that the B vitamins, like B12, for example, are good for energy. Mm-hmm. But what people don't know is there are genes that literally determine 
whether or not we can absorb the type of B12 we're putting in our body. So if you're an individual who cannot absorb B12 in the gut and they cannot use the regular cyanocobalamin version of B12, you absolutely need a methylated version of your B12 Mm -hmm. and you need to take it sublingually because what happens is when you put it underneath your tongue, those are capillaries that go right to the bloodstream Mm -hmm. and that's where your B12 needs to get, right? So this information, I mean, you won't really hear about this, you know, in traditional supplement packages or lines, or even if you go to the pharmacist, I mean, sometimes the pharmacist doesn't know, yeah, you should take B12. Yeah. yeah. They don't know what kind of B12 you should yeah. be taking. Here's right? your you capsule of B12, but then That's since it. a lot of people can't absorb B12 through the gut, it's like, well, you're probably just wasting your money. <laughs> exactly. You're throwing it down the drain and you're yeah. thinking, you know, my friend, he's doing really great on B12, but it's not working for me. Like right. I get the IV shots and nothing happens. In fact, I sometimes get a headache because it's, you know, and, and that's possible. You can actually overmethylate yourself as yeah. well. So it's giving you the right dose in the right form. Now, you, you start with your 90-day supply and you get on the program and you're feeling the benefits. Now, what happens is at the end of those 90 days or shortly before that, there's three things that could possibly happen. After, you know, the first two months of the, on the program, your lifestyle, your environment, or your health has changed. And thus, you need to determine how you're going to change your formulation. Now, here's a good example. If you are a weekend warrior and you're training for a triathlon, do you really think you should be taking the same vitamins whether or not you're training for that triathlon? Mm. Absolutely not. When you're working, you know, you're training for that marathon or the triathlon, you need more of a certain kind of vitamin, improving performance and recovery, mm-hmm. and less of other vitamins, right? You don't necessarily need to fall asleep faster because you, you, know, you don't want to be running sleepy. You want to make sure you have that energy during the day. Now, when you're done the triathlon, you don't need the excess energy because what happens with excess energy? It turns to fat. Mm-hmm. So we're able to now actually change the formulation as you change in your life, right? Right. So one way we change it is if your life changes, you better bet your bottom dollar your formulation is changing. Mm-hmm. The, other, the, other, the second way we change it is perhaps your clinician comes back to us and says, you know what, um, Jennifer, uh, I've seen her profile. We've created a formulation for her. I don't see curcumin, for example, indicated by her genetic profile. But you know what? Curcumin is really good for Jennifer's inflammation. I've been giving it for 10 years. Can you, could you add that to my formulation? And we say, absolutely. Because I love why? that. It is a personalized service for the individual. It's, mm-hmm. not a, it's not a product or a supplement. It's a service for their optimized health. And it gives the clinician full autonomy as to what that formulation looks like for that individual. I love that because like I, when I do functional blood chemistry analysis too, there might be a certain nutrient or something that needs to be added to help like replete something or whatever. And then we can kind of keep that updated based on repeat tests and things like that. But the thing with adding something like curcumin, right, the price of the supplements doesn't change at all, right? Absolutely. It's one standard price. regardless. And again, it's coming back to that service where it's not Mm -hmm. a product. It is how do I optimize my health for the rest of my life? Here's how you do it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and so then finally, the third way we change it, this is what's, it's, you know, it's really exciting and new about us and what we're doing is, imagine that we've determined a way to, uh, I'll actually give you a real life example. One of the ingredients we found that clinically improved BDNF, right, that brain-derived neurotrophic factor uh, for getting restful straight was magnesium 3 in 8, mm. right? One second. Uh, magnesium 3 in 8. So magnesium 3 in 8 cro- is able to cross the blood-brain barrier mm-hmm. and initiate BDNF production. Now, the problem was, to get the expected dose to improve BDNF production, you had to take two grams mm. of magnesium threonine. So that's about four capsules just of magnesium threonine. Right. Okay, when we, when we had that as the only source, people did it. But then what we did is we found a new ingredient. And that ingredient, uh, in this case, for improving BDNF, was called whole coffee fruit extract. Mm. Right? We actually found the company that produces the only clinically studied version of that cold coffee fruit extract to improve BDNF. Hmm. And here's the kicker. It only requires a hundred milligrams to see the same effect. You're talking about a reduction in dose of 20 times. You went from two grams or 2000 milligrams to a hundred milligrams. That's awesome. (laughs) Right. So we're able to reduce. And so what we did is everyone who needed BDNF support, we said, Hey guys, your next formulation is going to include this ingredient. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely no charge to you. Why? Because when you buy an iPhone and you have iOS 11 as your software, does iPhone charge you for the iOS 12 software? No, it improves the system, the operating system without any change, right? This is what you need to be better. And we do it free of charge. So we, 
you know, we'll, we'll change the ingredients as new science comes out. Love it. So cool. Um, perfect. So we asked all that. Let's see. Oh, quality. So I always talk to people. We kind of kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, I'm such a stickler about supplement quality, third party testing, like where is the stuff coming from? So how does nutrients kind of, I guess, stand up against those quality standards and the sourcing and all of that? Yeah, so absolutely. So all of our ingredients are sourced from the best in class suppliers from around the world. And the reason we did that is, you know, our chief ingredients officer, uh, Bryce Wild, who, you know, some of your clients may have heard of, uh, has spent most of his professional career literally traveling, or, traveling around the world, boots on the ground, to find and study the world's best natural ingredient manufacturers and suppliers. So it's all about quality, compliance, traceability, transparency, purity, you know, really finding those guys who've really invested the time and effort it takes to create a quality ingredient product because of the fact that there's so much, you know, so much garbage out there, essentially mm-hmm. oil mm-hmm. salesmen selling you, you know, glop. In totally. A, in a and contamination and fillers yeah. and part, colors. Is there a third party and, testing? You know, what yeah. is the filler? You, you, all you do is you read a bunch of ingredients. You got no idea what magnesium stearate is doing to you or what right. you know, colloidal right. silicon dioxide is doing to you. Right. So, the, the result of what we've done is a wealth of information as it relates to best-in-class nutraceuticals that we call upon when sourcing the material. So each ingredient we source has a story as it relates to its source, you know, its transparency, its traceability, purity, all of that. So, for example, one of the ingredients we use um, is a product called tocotrienols, okay? So tocotrienols are a lesser-known form of vitamin E. Vitamin E is made up of eight compounds. Four of them are tocopherols and four of them are tocotrienols. Tocotrienols are less studied, but what we have been finding and the research proves this at the clinical level is that these tocotrienols are clinically effective in improving hair follicle growth, in reversing symptoms of stroke, and even providing protection to white matter in the brain, which is fascinating. Now, how do I pick the right source of tocotrienols? Well, the, tr- the truth is not all tocotrienols are created the same. See, we actually, well, we were actually invited by the government of Malaysia, which is where we source our tocotrienols from. And the government of Malaysia has actually mandated ethical farming practices of the Malaysian red palm fruit to ensure a farm to finish preservation of the quality, the purity, and the traceability of our products, right? So everyone hears palm fruit and think, oh my God. Right, the orangutans. Yeah, exactly, right? Insustainable, you know, farming practices. But Malaysia, the actual government, partners with farmers, goes in boots on the ground and says, we will work to you to to divide ethical places to grow this palm fruit where we're not affecting wildlife, but we're still giving you a quality source of income. And then we source the best red palm fruit oil and we do this incredible process of deriving these tocotrienols. So absolutely, in summary, we have such a massive um, focus on the quality as well as the type of ingredients we bring into our, into our manufacturing process. I love it. That's awesome. That is all of the questions I have. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you think is really pertinent to share, Harris? You know what? Or? I think that after, you know, what we've done, we've been able to go and we've, you know, we've talked for quite a bit. Now, I think your, your, your patients and your clients are going to find that this is a whole new world, right? This yeah. is something that's groundbreaking. This is how I feel about it. I'm so yeah. passionate about it. So yeah. passionate about improving health you know, even speaking from personal experience, just so you guys, you know, I'll share this with, with, with your clients. You know, I have the obesity gene, the gene mm. that really ha- determines low satiety, which means I don't feel full no matter how much I eat. Yeah. And that is a very strong marker of obesity. But by understanding that this is how I am, I had to structure my eating practices so the weight stays off. Yeah. Understanding my hormone practices changes the way I work out. Understanding how the way my brain works changes the way how I work, mm-hmm. right? whether it's creating a schedule or whatever it is, I was able to restructure my entire life. Not just, my, not just my health and not just my diet and nutrition. Literally, my entire life has been yeah. changed. I'm, I'm, I'm a new Your person. weekly schedule. <laughs> like everything. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole new person, right? So, um, so that's really what I want to stress is, you know, this DNA test is going to tell you so much about yourself that you had no idea. Or perhaps you were seeking the answers for it and now finally you have the answers in an easy to easy to understand manner. Totally. That's what I'd like to, you know, to tell your, your patients as a sign off. 
I'm so excited. Anyways, thank you so much for your time, Horace. And I'm I'm just so excited to offer this and, and I can't wait. So excellent. Excellent. Okay, perfect. I look forward to, uh, to jumping back on the podcast with you in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Hey, so I hope you loved that interview. Horace has a wealth of knowledge and information, and I hope that brought some clarity around why I've been so excited about this test and this offer. It's something brand new. This company is just, um, it's its state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line stuff that I can't speak highly enough about um, just how it's affected me so far. Um, I've been taking my supplements now. Um, I'm feeling great. Um, I'm feeling really confident in my nutritional choices. I'm feeling really confident in how I'm approaching my business um, and my life and how I'm organizing that. And I I just want to share that with you too, because I think that it's, it's going to be it's going to be a game changer for you. So um, check out my offer um, and I hope that we can get started and uh, get you feeling awesome. So feel free to shoot me a message too if you have any additional questions. Um, Either I can answer them or I can actually ask them directly to the lab for you. So uh, definitely reach out. My direct email is hello at femalesinfinefettle.com. So hello at femalesinfinefettle.com. Com. Um, so I hope to talk with you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Females and Fine Fettle from Wiped Out to Wealthy, a podcast to fit your lifestyle. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review at femalesandfinefettle.com. If you have questions or topic ideas for upcoming episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please be sure to tune in next week.